You're listening to Wide Margins, episode 55. I'm Drew Kaiser, and this episode is entitled When Celebrity Christians Lose Their Faith. Uh, It's been a long time, about a month, since I've recorded one of these. And I would ask, did you miss me? But I'm a little bit too insecure to do that. So let me just say, I'm glad to be back. It's no coincidence that this episode coincides with school getting back into session. My kids start back uh, Monday. I'm recording this on a Friday. It's just really hard to do anything extracurricular during the summertime. And this podcast, for me, is an extracurricular activity. It's a hobby of mine. And so all I've been able to do this summer is get maybe three or four episodes recorded, get the job responsibilities I have done my responsibilities to my church and my family, and then, um, you know, try to visit as many people as we could, and I took some time off and had a good summer, but it's time to get back on a schedule. It really is. So I'm glad that school's starting back and glad to get back into a routine. I really like to get back into an episode every week. Another problem that I've been having, to be honest with you, is I just ran out of ideas for a while, and after you listen to this episode, you may think, well, he's still short on ideas. I hope you won't think that, but I've got some ideas for the future I'm really looking forward to, and uh, looking forward to you joining me on this podcast. Um, Spread the word, let people know what we're doing, and uh, I'm grateful to everybody who sticks with me and continues to listen. It's been a lot of fun, and I look forward to doing a lot of more episodes. So what's this episode about? When celebrity Christians lose their faith. I know that's kind of an odd concept to begin with. What is a celebrity Christian? It's kind of an oxymoron, really, because Christianity is about denying yourself. It's not about being a celebrated person. It's about celebrating Jesus. So at the offset, you know that something's going to be wrong here, celebrity Christians, and then the rest of the title doesn't do these people any good because they're losing their faith, but it's a it's an important phenomenon that's going on right now, especially if you are dumb enough, as I am, to have social media accounts and pay attention to them. You see a lot of statements made by self-important celebrity Christians or former celebrity Christians who are renouncing their faith and saying they've become enlightened and they've learned new things and they see the world in a whole new different way and they regret the last 20 or 40 years of professing Christianity and they're now following the world and glad they're doing that. Uh, I've picked three prominent examples and I want to share with you some of the things that they say because I think it's important to hear what they're saying. And then I have some remarks to make. But I, I gotta say, I was very hesitant to start recording this one for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is, I don't know these people, and there's something that just feels wrong about criticizing people I have no relationship with. At the same time, they've been at the forefront either of churches or movements or uh, Christian entertainment 
for a long time influencing people and they're using social media to promote their at one time their faith and now their apostasy and they're trying to influence people in the opposite direction and so I feel that you know such a public falling away demands a public response so that's one thing I also think it's an interesting trend that Christianity over the last uh, I'm just throwing a number out there three decades has become more and more commercialized more pop has had a slicker production and now the people at the forefront of that some of them I won't say many of them even but but some of them are losing their faith or moving in other directions and I think it's more of them than is represented by this episode talking about those who are falling away because some of them are losing their faith in the sense that they're trying to stay with trends and getting soft on some social issues some moral issues that are very important because they want to continue to be relevant and cool and hip and that's a major problem with celebrity Christianity um, so another reason that I've been hesitant to do this is because I don't like talking about something that other people have already talked to death many many people have piled on in open letters and essays and articles and podcasts about these statements that I'm going to share with you and you can look those up maybe you've already seen them but one of the reasons that I'm doing it on this podcast is because I think my particular audience is either unaware of the original statements or hasn't seen responses to them and would be interested in hearing them so for my particular audience I don't think that a whole lot of you have heard about this phenomenon and so I want to share it with you and maybe it'll work out good maybe not we'll see we're gonna we're gonna try so let me get started my first example doesn't really qualify as a celebrity pastor but I'm sharing his example with you first because it was the first of these kinds of statements that I've seen and it blew up on Twitter I don't follow him on Twitter I don't follow many people that follow him but it became so viral that it reached my Twitter feed and it had a lot of retweets and and responses and likes and um, he has since made these statements private but they're all over the place and you can see them if you care to to look at them um, the person I'm talking about is a Missouri pastor of a community church named Dave Gass G-A-S-S and I'll start reading through some of the tweets it was a series it was a thread of tweets and I won't read all of them because it's very lengthy it would take a long time to do it but I want to go over some of them starting with I think the first one here in the thread after 40 years he says of being a devout follower 20 of those being an evangelical pastor I'm walking away from faith even though this has been a massive bomb drop in my life he says it has been decades in the making um, he explains that he grew up studying the scriptures he says I think I missed maybe 12 Sundays in 40 years I would completely memorized 18 books of the Bible and was reading through the Bible for the 24th time when I walked away 
Now, already in this, I see a problem because I see a person who is taking a record of his good deeds. You know, the examples here are simply how many times he's read the Bible and how many times he's memorized books of the Bible. I I don't know anybody who's memorized 18 books of the Bible. That's very impressive. I think it's interesting that he's done that and that he is proud of that. And even in posts about falling away and saying, you know, it was a mistake to do it, he's still bragging about it. And I think it's especially interesting that he's counted how many times he's read through the Bible. 24 times. Uh, I don't... I know some people that count that. I don't want to judge their motives. I'm just saying it's already a red flag that he's throwing out how many good works that he has done. It shows you what he expected out of his faith. He expected if I do this more than everybody else... I will have a better life than everybody else. He's already missing the mark. And even walking away from it, he's showing that he still doesn't realize what has happened, that he was on the wrong path to begin with. But he goes on. He says, As an adult, my marriage was a sham and a constant source of pain for me. I did everything I was supposed to. Marriage workshops, counseling, Bible reading together, date nights every week, marriage books, but my marriage never became what I was promised it would be. Now again, if somebody promised him that his marriage would be a certain way, he got some bad advice. It sounds like somebody promised him that his marriage would be a storybook we- uh, wedding followed by a fairy tale of a life. And that is not what any good marriage is because that's not reality. It's also not realistic to go to marriage workshops, counseling, Bible reading together, date nights every week. I'm not a good example of this, but my wife and I rarely go on dates. Now, you should do that. It's just not something we have a whole lot of time for. But we certainly wouldn't expect that the number of dates we go on would equal a happy marriage. just doesn't work out that way. Later on, after he posted all of these things, and it gets worse, I'll read some more, but later on, one of the deacons at the church he left, that he was the pastor of, revealed that this man had left his wife for another woman and had not repented of the affair and was continuing to live with the woman that he left his wife for. And so this business about, you know, Putting every, doing everything he was supposed to for his marriage, and yet the marriage was a constant source of pain, it's dishonest, and you can read everything else through the filter of that, that lie that he tells early on in the, the thread. He goes on to say, An inescapable reality that I came to was that the people who benefited the most from organized religion were the fringe attenders who didn't take it too seriously. The people who were devout were the most miserable but just kept trying harder. Now he's speaking for a lot of people I'm not so sure would agree with his statement. He's making a a big mistake here that a lot of people make. They try to represent their own personal individual point of view by saying everybody else who's in my camp feels the same way. They're just not telling you 
they're miserable, and I'm the only one out of this group that's being honest at this point. He says the entire system, I'm going to come back to that word in a minute, the entire system is rife with abuse, and not just from the top down, sure there are abusive church leaders, but church leaders are abused by their congregants as well. Church people are just, he uses a an expletive here, um, bad to each other. I spent my entire life serving, loving, and trying to help people in my congregations, and the lies, betrayal, and slander I have received at the hands of church people left wounds that may never heal. So he starts referring to evangelical churches as systems. And this is where I think he's actually on to something, because what the evangelical church has become is a huge system. And in terms of drawing adherence, for many of them, it has been a successful system. But it's also a very impersonal system. It's a very commercialized system. And I think that's something you're going to see common throughout all three of the examples I'm going to share with you in this episode is they're a part of a slick, commercialized pop religion that's starting to stale already and I think is going to lead to a lot more of similar statements to what we're reading here. I'm going to skip some of these because this is not even the most interesting example I have, but there's still a few more statements I want to go over that he, that he says. Uh, he says, For those of you who want to yell at me, that's fine. I know that many will call me an apostate. Well, that's actually the technical term for what he's doing. Apostasy is falling away, and he's falling away from something. Say that I was never really saved, that I was a wolf in sheep's clothing, and that a hotter hell awaits me. And to you I say, I love you. My heart is tender toward you. A um, couple things from that. I'm going to come back to his statement that some will say that he was never really saved. Now, many of you may find that really interesting. I find it interesting. And it's another tie-in with some of the other examples, especially reactions to the examples. He's right. Many of his respondents say, well, you were never really saved to begin with. And they're referring to the doctrine of Calvinism or Reformed theology that lies behind evangelical religion. All three of these examples are examples from evangelical Christianity. And, um, you know, I'll say more about that in a moment because I have clearer statements to reflect on. This idea that he loves us, those of us he's never seen before, and that love is having a heart that's tender toward people shows that he really doesn't understand love. Uh, love is not just having a tender heart toward somebody. Love is action, and the actions he's taking here are not loving actions. To those that have been in my congregations or under my teaching, preaching, I sincerely apologize. I thought I was right. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I could fake it until I made it. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I love you. Um... So, anyway, I think I'm going to stop right there with that. That, again, was Dave Gass. He apparently was an evangelical pastor in Missouri over several churches, was a fairly influential leader in local areas, but nothing at the status of a celebrity pastor. I'm going to move on from him now to someone who does qualify as a celebrity pastor. And this is a name that you might recognize because he's been influential since the 90s because of a very popular book he wrote, I think in uh, the mid-90s, called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. This is Joshua Harris, or Josh Harris, 
And uh, Josh Harris wrote this book, and it came to my attention when I was a student at Freed Hardeman University. Some of my friends were reading this book, and they were really taken by it. It was a part of the purity movement, which was really big back then, and it literally um, argued for what the title sounds like. It argued that we shouldn't date, that whenever we start getting close to a member of the opposite sex, we should start thinking in terms of marriage right away with that person and not get close to a person unless we have marriage in view. I may be misrepresenting some of the ideas in that book, but it's basically the idea that dating is wrong, that um, we need to stay pure, which that's a good message. But the idea of how to do that, I think, is wrong. Uh, I don't think it's wrong to date. I think there are things that we should do on dates and around dating to set boundaries for ourselves to make sure we maintain our purity, but I think it's a bad idea to get married to somebody that you don't know, especially in our culture today. And again, he's not saying marry somebody you don't know, but I think you get the idea. There's some serious concerns about the ideas that he promoted when he was very young and wrote this book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. He had zero experience in relationships when he's writing a book, a self-help book on relationships. That's a bad idea, and it shows 25, 30 years later when he writes this statement. This is Josh Harris on his Instagram account. He says, My heart is full of gratitude. I wish you could see all the messages people sent me after the announcement of my divorce. Now, ahead of this statement, he announced that he and his wife were divorcing. So, it's hard for him, and this is why I'm hesitant to put this episode out, because I don't know him I don't know much about his writings. I just know that this statement I'm reading to you now has become influential, and so I feel compelled to respond to it. But on a personal level, divorce is a terrible thing. I don't know the reasons for the divorce. I don't know his wife. I don't know him. This is a very private thing, a very personal thing, and yet he's you know he's putting it out there on social media. So I'm torn about this, but he says that he's had a lot of messages of support following the announcement of his divorce. So the self-help relationship guru is getting a divorce, and it's a a terrible tragedy in his life, and it's, it's hurt, it's aggravated by the fact that he made a lot of money and gained a lot of influence telling people how to have a good marriage. He says, "...they're expressions of love, though they are saddened or even strongly disapprove of the decision." I'm learning, he says, that no group has the market cornered on grace. This week I've received grace from Christians, atheists, evangelicals, ex-evangelicals, straight people, LGBTQ people, and everyone in between. Of course, there have also been strong words of rebuke from religious people. While not always pleasant, I know they are seeking to love me. There have also been spiteful, hateful comments that have angered and hurt me. The information that was left out of our announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. I've never heard that before till this, but I guess in his circles, um, deconstruction is a phrase that is used. The biblical phrase is falling away. That I have heard. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. Then he quotes Martin Luther. Martin Luther said that the entire life of believers should be repentance. There's beauty in that sentiment. 
regardless of your view of God. I've lived in repentance for the past several years, repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teaching of my books, my views of women in the church, and my approach to parenting, to name a few. But I specifically want to add this to the list. To the LGBTQ plus community, I want to say that I am sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you and your place in the church and for, not, and for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to the culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope you can forgive me. To my Christian friends, he says, I am grateful for your prayers. Don't take it personally if I don't immediately return calls. I can't join in your mourning. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. I believe with my sister Julian that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. So that's the end of his statement. He's very happy that he's now said that his entire life was a sham. Uh, that, again, is another common thread with the next example that I will show you, this uh, joy and jubilation over looking back on 40, 50 years of life and saying, I was wrong the whole time and I influenced people in the wrong direction. I wrote a lot of books and made millions of dollars off of them, and uh, now I don't believe any of them. And, um, you know, my marriage has fallen apart. I'm very happy about this whole thing. Again, there's something really wrong and something really weird here. Why? And there's a picture, this Instagram, that he's chosen to release this on. And there's a strange picture of him in hiking clothing, looking at a mountain with a river or a pool of water at the foot of the mountain. And he's you, you don't see his face, and he's all by himself. He had somebody take this picture... It's just really bizarre. It's as bizarre as I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which is a picture of a guy, uh, the cover of the book I remember, was a guy wearing a fedora or some kind of a hat from like the 1940s, tipping his hat maybe to dating, or saying farewell, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's really strange because in the 90s, people were wearing flannel shirts and dirty jeans they weren't wearing Humphrey Bogart hats so I've always thought this guy's choices were strange I thought he was always very extreme in his views and that's the first reflection I had when I read this I've always noticed that extremes breed extremes so here's a man that came out with a very extreme view for young people as a young person no caution here he goes to the publisher with it and in his youth, he writes this book. It sells millions. And the idea is you shouldn't go on dates. Now, all of American youth is going on dates. Christian young people, non-Christian young people, everybody's going on dates. But a lot of people started trying to live without dating, trying to get married without having dating dated. There was a lot of people who were very lonely throughout high school and college and the years afterwards because they had renounced dating based on the views of this guy. Uh, a lot of people may have missed out on marriage because of what he taught. Or maybe they married the married too soon, married without knowing a person, and, and um, had problems. And I think there are testimonies to that and a lot of criticisms about his book, which he reflects on here and says that he's very sorry about. 
But, you know, he put that out there and he made a lot of money off of it and became a huge success and became an influencer. And now he's all the way over to the other extreme, marching in gay pride parades, supporting the LGBTQ plus community, uh, renouncing his faith, renouncing God and Christ, and saying that he's really happy about things. I think it goes without saying that this is not a person that anybody should listen to. And he probably says, you're right, don't listen to me. But I just can't help but notice that the person who doesn't think people should listen to him anymore is still promoting himself. Uh, He's still promoting himself as a public speaker, as a motivational speaker. He calls himself a storyteller, which is the favorite title for people who've left ministry, they they become storytellers. So he's a storyteller, a motivational speaker. He's lecturing people even now on his on his account and preaching peace and love, which is a view that comes only from the person he's renouncing. So I find that very strange as well. Uh, now, You'll remember one of the things that Dave Gass said in his Twitter feed is that a lot of people will say he was never saved to begin with. And this is something that people are saying in reaction to Josh Harris. The evangelical church, as well as many mainline denominations, are supported by Reformed theology. Calvinism, the ideas of Martin Luther, salvation by faith alone, the idea that we're born in total depravity, that Christ died for um, only a select few, a limited atonement, and they were irresistibly saved, and they have the perseverance of the saints. Uh, It's impossible for them to fall away if they truly were elected to be saved by God. We know this is predestination. Some, Some of you use that term. The idea that before you were born, God determined whether or not you would be saved. And this is the view of pretty much everybody I've been reading from so far and everybody in their fellowship. And so I wanted to read you a couple of reactions from those that are saddened by, um, by his views. Uh, one Jacksonville pastor says, uh, Josh Harris wrote the foreword for his book, Finally Free, Fighting for Purity with the Power of Grace. His name is Heath Lambert. And he says, The Lord knows Joshua's heart. Was Joshua a Christianized unbeliever who never knew Christ? We do not know, but God does. Is he a Christian who has fallen into grievous sin and is in need of restoration? We, don't, we do not know, but God does. Now, this is the ridiculous position that you fall into when you buy into Reformed theology. I know there's a lot of smart people behind it. I know that there's a, centuries of theology that you can study and go back to. I know that it was a reaction to a very problematic... Um, Roman Catholicy, uh, Catholicism, but at the same time, it doesn't give you a response to things like this that happen. Somebody who was celebrated like Josh Harris, who was believed and followed for so many years, they're now saying, we're, we're not sure what's going on with him. And I think it's very clear what is going on with him. He is no longer what he once was. Uh, you can say whatever you want about what he once was. I'm sure that I had many disagreements with what he was once was, 
but I know what he isn't right now. He isn't a Christian. But because of this Reformed theology, those who once supported him have to say, well, he may still be a Christian and he's in need of restoration. Now, he said he renounced Christ. Could he come back to Christ? Possibly. But he's no longer saved. He's not saved. Uh, Albert Moeller, very influential, very smart Southern Baptist. Uh, He's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He has a podcast called The Briefing. And he said, There may be even some who sin by repudiating Christianity, but if they ever were genuinely Christian, they will return by repentance at some point, and that is a gospel promise. If persons do continue in their, repudi- in their repudiation of Christianity, then we have to remember 1 John 2:19, where we are told that they went out from us because they were not of us, which is to say they never were truly Christians. They were pretend believers. Because of his theology, that's the way he has to look at what's going on here. Josh Harris may not have ever been a Christian, He was a pretend believer. If he was a Christian to begin with, he will definitely become a Christian in the end. And it's just, if you step back from it, it's an absurd idea, and there's no scriptural support to the idea. The Bible does talk about election and predestination, but it doesn't say that anybody has individually been predestined for salvation or elected by God to be saved. It says that God has elected or predestined the group of those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, Christians in other words, to be saved. And he's already made that determination. And so that those who are in Christ will in the end be saved. And those who are outside of Jesus Christ, whether they came to him one time and fell away or never came to him at all, they're lost. And... There are so many passages to talk about this, and it's not the point of the episode, but I do want you to look at a few things. Galatians chapter uh, 5, verse 4 talks about people who have fallen from grace. Now, if you've fallen from grace, you were once in grace, and you're not in grace any longer. That's not unconditional, irresistible grace. That's grace that can be resisted, and that is the possibility of losing your salvation. Peter talked about those who were once saved and who turned their back on the Word of God and turned their back on the faith, and he says the latter state for them is worse than the first, 2 Peter 2, 20-22. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4-6, through 6, it, the writer talks about those who were once enlightened and who have fallen away, and for them it is impossible to repent because they've gotten in such a situation where they deny Christ and they continue to to tramp him underfoot. So, the Bible says that you can become a Christian and fall away, but Reformed theology does not. And so the leaders of this are really scratching their heads and having a problem with this apostasy of celebrity leaders in their, in their fellowship. Now, let me get to the last example. There's a lot more to talk about here, but I want to go to this last example, and uh, this is somebody called Marty Sampson. Marty Sampson is a part of Hillsong, which is a very popular contemporary Christian music group. Uh, he, he has written a lot of their songs, 
and uh, they sell a lot of music. And again, this is very slick commercial Christianity. It's not primitive Christianity at all. So he came out on Instagram also, and here's his statement. It's a little shorter than the others. Time for some real talk, he says. I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. <laughs> who, would, who would say that? I mean, even if, you, if you're genuinely losing your faith, it would bother you. Faith is something very personal, important, life-changing. I mean, if somebody moves from a home they lived in for five years, that would bother them. If, if, a, if a seventh grader breaks up with his girlfriend, that bothers him. Here's a guy that's written some very influential music, has made a lot of money being a Christian, has received a lot of accolades for his faith, and he's saying he's genuinely losing it, and it doesn't bother him, and he's saying it on Instagram to a bunch of strangers. He says, like, what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world. It's crazy. That's something we saw in Josh Harris's statement. He says, this is a soapbox moment, so here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Now, i got to stop right here. He says, how many miracles happen? Because he's a part of a movement that is charismatic. A lot of people don't talk about this, but many large evangelical megachurches, most, if not all of them, not only say miracles happen, but they say expect miracles, pray for miracles, miracles happen every day. They make statements like that with no support whatsoever of this actually happening. Now, I believe that God is active and involved in this world. I believe that he does it providentially through the natural law, and miracles are a breaking of natural law. And so I have you know, scriptural support for that, and that is the way that I look at the world, and I'm not surprised when I don't see people walking on water or dead bodies coming out of tombs or people feeding 10,000 with five loaves and two fish. But evidently, you know, in his movement, he was expecting that. But he says in his renunciation of his faith, how many miracles happen? Not many. How many, how many do you need to know? How many miracles need to be confirmed for you to believe that there is a God? I, I think one would do it. You know, and that's usually all that people had, even in Jesus' day. If I were in a ship and I saw my teacher walking to me across a stormy sea, I would have an all that I needed. So that was a really interesting statement. Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be loved yet send four billion people to a place all cause, C-O-Z, they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people but it's not for me. So, again, he's throwing out all these questions that are common, frequently asked questions, and he's saying, no one talks about it. Everybody's talking about these things. What rock has this guy been hiding under? Everybody's asking these questions. Now, he goes on to say, I'm not in anymore. I want to be genuine. 
I want genuine truth, not the I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. Got so much more to say, but for me, I keeping it real. Unfollow if you want. I've never been about living my life for others. All I know is what's true to me now, and Christianity just seems to me like another religion at this point. I could go on, but I won't. Love and forgive, absolutely. Be kind, absolutely. Be generous and do good to others, absolutely. Some things are good no matter what you believe. Let the rain fall, the sun will come up tomorrow. Okay, so, before I go, I want to share a statement from you from an unlikely source, uh, another, I believe this is another contemporary Christian artist named John Cooper, who uh, is a part of the band Skillet. And a lot of these things that I'm reading, I just have to smile through it because it's, these are the influencers, and there are these brilliant theologians out there that I'd really like to be talking about their ideas, but nobody's really reading them or talking about them. They're talking about Skillet and Hillsong. Uh, but this guy, John Cooper, I've never heard of him before, never heard of Skillet, but he really gave a great response on Facebook to what... Um, Marty Sampson said in his Instagram post. So uh, I want to read some of this also because I think he says a lot of things better than I could say it. Um, so this is John Cooper in response to Josh Harris, uh, Hillsong, Marty Sampson, and, and a lot of other things. What is happening, he says, in Christianity? More and more of our outspoken leaders or influencers who were once faces of the faith are falling away. And at the same time, they're being very vocal and bold about it. Shockingly, they still want to influence others. As they announce that they're leaving the faith, I'll state my conclusion, then I'll state some rebuttals to statements I've read by some of them. Firstly, I never judge people outside my faith. Even if they hate religion or Christianity, that's not my place. And I have many friends who disagree with my religion, and that's 100% fine with me. However, when it comes to people within my faith, there must be a measure of loyalty and friendship and accountability to each other and the Word of God. My conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. I think he's right on target right there. The biggest problem that I see in all of these examples is that young people are looking to young people for leadership nowadays. And old people are doing the same thing. And it's not just in evangelical religion, although that's probably where it is the worst, but I see it all the time. You look at a job posting for a lot of churches in the Churches of Christ. And what will it say? We're looking for someone preferably between the ages of 30 and 40. Or they might play around with the number. It might be 25 to 40 or 35 to 45. But usually, 45 is as old as it gets. Now, I'm not quite 45 yet. I'm almost there. And I still feel like I'm figuring this stuff out. My dad and my father-in-law both preach, and they're both 70 years old. And honestly, and I'm looking from the inside out. I'm a part of this world of preaching and ministering full-time. And I can tell you... Those men are in their prime. God has granted them their health. They have a lot of experience and knowledge that I'm still trying to acquire. I learn from them, and 
they are in their prime. You know, I think if a man at that age has his health and he's able to continue to do the work, he, for that position, is at the right age. We're electing people to be president of the United States in their 70s. People are running currently for that position in their late 70s, expecting to be president all the way into their 80s. There are people in the Senate in their 80s, on the Supreme Court in their 80s with pancreatic cancer, and we're saying Christianity should be led by people with mohawks and piercings and tattoos who are no older than 35 years old. And I just think that's insane. And so that's something that resonated with me from John Cooper. He says, I've been saying for 20 years and seem probably quite judgmental to some of my peers that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth. Amen. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the Word. I'm not being rude to my worship leader friends, many who would agree with me, in saying that singers and musicians are good at communicating emotion and feeling. We create a moment and a vehicle for God to speak. However, singers are not always the best people to write solid Bible truth and doctrine. Sometimes we are too young, too ignorant of Scripture, too unaware, or too unconcerned about the purity of Scripture and the holiness of the God that we are singing to. Have you ever considered the disrespect of singing songs to God that are untrue of His character? That is a great question. He continues, I have a few specific thoughts and rebuttals to statements made by recently disavowed church influencers. First of all, I am stunned that the seemingly most important thing for these leaders who have lost their faith is to make such a bold new stance, basically saying, quote, I've been living and preaching boldly something for 20 years and led generations of people with my teachings, and now I no longer believe it. Therefore, I'm going to boldly and loudly tell people it was all wrong while I boldly and loudly lead people into my next truth. I'm perplexed why they aren't embarrassed, humbled, ashamed, fearful, confused. Why be so eager to continue leading people when you clearly don't know where you are headed? Man, that's a great question. Why would you want to lead people when you aren't quite sure where you are going? And doesn't it remind you of something Christ said about the Pharisees? They are the blind leading the blind. Okay, his second thought. Why do people act like being real, he puts that in quotes, covers a multitude of sins? As if someone is courageous simply for sharing virally every thought or dark place. That's not courageous. It's cavalier. Have they considered the ramifications? As if they are the harbingers of truth, saying, I used to think one way and practice it and preach it, but now I've learned all the new truth and will start practicing and preaching it. So the influencers become the voice of truth for whatever stage of life and whatever evolution takes place in their thinking. You see, he's on to something there because it's more, it's more about... Um, it's more about personality than anything. That's the problem. These people are popular, therefore they are right, even when they contradict their former selves. Now, he goes on. Thirdly, there is a common thread running through these leaders' influencers that basically says that no one else is talking about the real stuff. This is just flatly false. You remember that from Marty Sampson's statement. No one's talking about it, he says. I just read today in a renowned worship leader statement, how could a God of love send people to hell? No one talks about it. As if he is the first person to ask this, brother, you are not that unique. The church was wrestled, has wrestled with this for 1,500 years. Literally, everybody talks about it. 
Children talk about it in Sunday school. There's like a billion books written on the topic. Just because you don't get the answer you want doesn't mean that we are unwilling to wrestle with it. We wrestle with Scripture until we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then finally, he says, shock. And lastly, and most shocking in my opinion, as these influencers disavow their faith, they always end their statements with their new insight, new truth, that is basically a regurgitation of Jesus' words. It's truly bizarre and ironic. They'll say, I'm disavowing my faith, but remember, love people, be generous, forgive others. Why? That is actually not human nature. No child is ever born and says, I just want to love others before loving myself. I want to turn the other cheek. These biblical principles, these are biblical principles taught by a prophet, priest, king of kings who wants us to live by a higher standard, which is not an earthly standard, but rather the kingdom of God's standard. And I'll stop right there. He goes on for quite some time, and uh, I've run out of time here, gone longer than I planned to go. But I just think he says some really great things here about about these statements and says them in a way that's better than, than I could say it. So those are three examples, and there have been others, and there will be, take it to the bank, many, many more, because... This celebrity religion is not good for us. It puts the youth in the leadership position. It's an idolization of style and youth over respect for the wisdom of old age and respect for those who have studied and learned the Word of God, which is our only authority for life in the world today. Look at the Bible and who are qualified to lead local churches. Elders, the name, the title itself suggests age and wisdom. Look at who led the church, the wise. Go to the Proverbs and ask, who are we supposed to listen to? Who should we beware of? And it says, listen to the older people. Listen to the wise. They are the ones who know the truth and have the experience. The idolization of youth is a huge problem, and I see it in in the churches of Christ as much as I see it anywhere else. We have to be very careful about it. Finally, um, you know, there's I've already said this, but there's a huge problem with celebrating people. The reason these people have a platform is they have a personality that has become very popular, and so people listen to them and even when they turn from their faith they continue to espouse things which shows you it's proof that it never was about what they were saying it was always about who they were if what they were saying in the past made them popular and it's the total opposite thing from what they're saying now yet they're still popular it's not about what they were saying it's about who they are and so That's where I want to end with this, just with a caution that we need to be careful and listen to what people are saying, not who they are. I look forward to getting back on track. Thanks for tuning in and listening, catching up. We'll catch up with you next time on Wide Margins.